Welcome to the Edinburgh Vineyard Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us, please visit edinburghvineyard.org. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook. Right, this new series, Exodus. I mean, I'm always excited about our new series, but uh, I am especially excited because if you don't know, Exodus is the, the second book in the Bible. It's in the, in the Old Testament. Um, I am a huge nerd about the Old Testament, so please indulge me this morning. I'm <laughs> sorry. If I get too carried away, it's just because I'm so excited. Um, but yeah, so if you don't know me, I'm currently doing a PhD uh, in... Thank you. <laughs> I really enjoy the audience participation this morning. That's great. Let's keep that up. Um, and I do have to say, actually... I said today's my birthday. I had a little party last night, mere hours ago. I was similarly stood holding a microphone, singing ABBA karaoke. So uh, you'll be glad I'm not doing that this morning. Those of you who were there, I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's what we're doing. So Exodus. Um, So over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, the character of God. Um, And I think Kate's going to pick us up next week, uh, looking at some verses in Exodus chapter 34. So she was like, oh, Emily, you like the Bible. <laughs> I was like, yeah, uh, <laughs> I do. She was like, can you, like, you know, give us some context, explain what's happening so that we can jump in with, uh, you know, in chapter 34. So I was like, great, okay. Exodus chapter one to chapter 34, here we go. We're going to be here till next Sunday. Uh, no, we're not. I'm going to be doing a quick whistle-stop tour through Exodus. Um, you maybe know the book of Exodus already. It's uh, kind of quite a famous story. Um, you've maybe seen some films about it. Uh, there was a film that came out a few years ago called Exodus Gods and Kings. I watched it this week to prepare and it was not very good. So <laughs> I actually don't really recommend watching it. I do recommend watching the DreamWorks classic, The Prince of Egypt. Uh, it's a fantastic Exodus retelling. I actually studied it at uni. I did a module called The Bible in Music, Art and Literature. And we were looking at these like beautiful Renaissance paintings and all this stuff and poetry that's like centuries old. And then The Prince of Egypt. <laughs> and it is actually a very good Exodus retelling. So I do recommend it. Um, so maybe instead of, you know, if you forget everything I've told you this morning, go home and watch that. Um, But so that's how I first knew the Exodus story. Uh, I saw the film when I was a child, uh, before I started going to church, before I ever read the Bible. Um, So you're maybe a bit familiar with the story of Moses and uh, him leading the Israelites out of Egypt. Um, But that's basically what we're talking about this morning. Um, So Exodus starts. If you want to read along in your Bible, I'm going to occasionally reference verses, but we are jumping through 34 chapters so it might be a bit tricky (laughs) but uh, I do recommend maybe going home and flicking through Exodus uh, in your own time Um, it is an amazing story and uh, I'm really looking forward to digging into it in the next few weeks but in the meantime so Exodus starts chapter 1 verse 1 says these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob Um, Genesis which is the first book in the Bible it ends with a guy called Joseph he ends up in Egypt his dad He's called Jacob and uh, his, so his dad, Jacob, and all his brothers, they moved to Egypt and they settle there. Um, it's kind of throughout the Old Testament, especially in Exodus, um, it sometimes talks about Israel. We, I think when we hear that, we think of like the country Israel, which we have now. Uh, that's not quite what it's talking about in the Bible. Um, Israel is the name that God gives Jacob. So Jacob and Israel are the same person. Uh, just helpful to bear in mind, maybe. Um, so God renames him Israel. Um, and then, so they talk about the sons of Israel. That's all his 12 sons. Um, and then they become the Israelites. So they settle in Egypt. Uh, the family just kind of grows and grows and grows. They keep multiplying. And uh, they become so big that 
by the time Exodus starts, um, they have been put into slavery because they were threatening to, to Pharaoh, to the kind of Egyptian uh, authority because they were becoming so numerous. So Exodus starts with the Israelites, this family, uh, well, at this point, they're not really a family. They've kind of become more of like a tribe. Um, but all these people, they're in slavery. Um, and uh, there's this rule goes out from Pharaoh that all Israelite sons who are born uh, from that kind of point onward have to be killed. So daughters are fine, but they're like, <laughs> unpleasant rule, obviously. And um, so Moses is born. He has an older sister and an older brother, but he's born kind of under this rule. And his mother obviously doesn't want to kill him. So she puts him in a basket, uh, floats him up the Nile, um, and then he's found by Pharaoh's daughter, who kind of takes him in, like raises him. And so he grows up uh, as an Israelite, but uh, he escapes death, and then he ends up in kind of the Egyptian royal house, the royal family. Um, so, you know, he grows up, etc. accidentally kills an Egyptian. <laughs> the Bible actually doesn't go into much detail about that, so <laughs> I'm going to jump over it. Um, <laughs> and then he, he ends up out of Egypt, kind of in the wilderness, um, he meets his wife, he grows up, settles down, becomes a shepherd. Uh, and he's kind of one day out with sheep and goats and kind of, you know, <laughs> shepherding them. I don't know. Uh, shepherding them around. And he um, comes across a burning bush, um, which, again, is maybe something you've heard. It's quite a famous part of the story. So he comes across this bush that's on fire, but it's not burning up. You know, it's not kind of turning to ash or anything. Um, and he hears the voice of God who's in this burning bush, um, calling out to him and saying, Moses. And he says, yes, <laughs> I'm here. Um, and so we're now in chapter three. And uh, so God says, come closer, remove the sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. So basically saying like, you're in the presence of God. Um, and so then three verse six, he said, uh, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, Israel. Um, and Moses hid his face. Um, so basically he has this incredible encounter with God um, and God says <clears throat> that he's heard the cries of the Israelites who are in slavery in Egypt, that they've been crying out to him and he's heard them. And he then says in verse eight, I've come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he basically says, I've heard you. I'm going to bring them out of slavery and I'm going to bring them into their own land because, you know, obviously they're currently in Egypt. Um, and they're kind of existing as a tribe, as a group of people in someone else's land. So God says, yeah, I'm going to bring them out to their, to their own place so they can settle. And Moses is basically like, great. Why are you telling me that? <laughs> and God's like, well, I want you to go and do it. I want you to go back to Pharaoh and say that he has to, to let the Israelites go. He has to let them out of slavery uh, so they can go and find their own land, which Moses is kind of like... <laughs> don't want to do that <laughs> sorry <laughs> and they have a little bit of a back and forth and Moses is kind of like how on, how on earth do you want me to do that like why would I do that uh, God says like no you have to be the one to do it and he says you have to go back reunite with uh, his older brother and sister his brother Aaron um, who he didn't grow up with but who they're obviously Israelites in Egypt and he says like you have to go back to them reunite with them and Moses is like, no, how can I do that? Like, what, like, what do I even say? What do I like? Who do I say has sent me? How do I explain this? And uh, so, in verse fourteen, then God says to Moses, "I am who I am, and thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you." And then verse fifteen, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Put a pin in that. We're going to come back to that later. But uh, so. 
you know, Moses leaves this experience. He does go back. He goes and finds Aaron and Miriam to the Israelites. Explains this to them. He goes to Pharaoh and says, yeah, God says, you have to let the Israelites go. You have to let my people go. Pharaoh, unsurprisingly, says, no, because I've got all these slaves who, like, build my pyramids and, I don't know, whatever slaves are doing in Egypt, you know. wasn't very pleasant, I imagine. But it's a good deal for Pharaoh. So he's like, no, uh, no, you can't go. And especially you can't go because if you go and you find your own land, you become your own nation, you become a threat to Egypt. So he's like, no, you can't do that. So <laughs> Moses kind of goes back and talks to God and he's like, well, God, sorry, Pharaoh said no, what now? Uh, and then so chapter six, we're now in, God says to Moses, uh, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. Indeed, by a mighty hand, he will let them go. By a mighty hand, he will drive them out of his land. So God says, no, you've got to go back. The Israelites are going to come out of Egypt. Uh, and so then in chapter seven, a famous part of the story, if you've seen any of the films, you probably know it, the plagues start. Um, and plagues start hitting Egypt. So the Nile turns to blood. Uh, they get kind of frogs, gnats, flies, um, famine. Everyone gets hungry. Uh, but they start to notice that the, the Israelites are spared these plagues. It's only the Egyptians that start suffering. Um, and between every plague, Moses goes back and he's like, let us go. God is sending these plagues on Egypt. You have to let the Israelites go. And every time Pharaoh says, no, if, you know, if I let you go, you won't come back. You'll take, all, you know, you'll take your whole households and all your castle and everything you own. You'll go out to the wilderness and no. Um, so they go back and forth and back and forth. And uh, then eventually the final plague, again, if you've seen the films, you know, is that Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, the firstborn sons in, the, in every family in Egypt are going to die. Uh, and Pharaoh says, no, still. And then that does happen. The Israelites, uh, is, again, I encourage you to go read it because there's more detail than I can go into. But um, I think we're now in, I don't know what chapter it's in, chapter 10-ish. Um, but uh, so the Israelites kind of paint lamb's blood over their door. That becomes the festival of Passover, uh, which Jews still celebrate now. Um, and so, you know, the Israelites survive this. Pharaoh then is so angry that he's like, yes, fine, go, don't come back. Uh, you know, he's so furious with them. He says like, yes, you, 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 can, you can go. I just don't want to see you anymore. Um, so they leave. Moses leads all the Israelites out of Egypt uh, and they end up kind of towards the Red Sea. Hold on, I've lost my place in my Bible. Exodus 13 is where I'm going to jump to. Okay, so my hands are too small. Okay, um, I'm reading, by the way, from the NRSV, uh, so it might be a little different from whatever translation you've got. But um, so they're, they're chapter 13, they're out of Egypt, they've come to the Red Sea, and they're like, great, what do we do now? <laughs> In fact, the Israelites are already complaining. They start saying, like, Moses, you've brought us out into the wilderness to die. At least when we were slaves in Egypt, you know, we were slaves, but we were still alive. I imagine at this point Moses was like, thanks, Lord, for this one. Uh, <laughs> love this mission. Please do something. I'm standing in front of the sea. And, uh, and at this point also, Pharaoh has changed his mind and he's coming after them um, to kind of attack them and to bring them back. Um, so, <laughs> thanks, <Ray. laughs> Uh So chapter 13, verse 18, they're kind of standing in front of the Red Sea. They can see Pharaoh coming after them. Uh, and it says... So God led the people by the roundabout way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of the land of Egypt, prepared for battle. So they're pursuing them. Um, 
verse 21, the Lord went in front of them in a pillar of clouds by day to lead them along the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light. So the presence of God is kind of going ahead of them and, um, you know, that's a very brief verse actually, but can you imagine that? There's this like enormous group of people pursued by like Egyptian soldiers and a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke going before them that's led them to the Red Sea. Uh, so then chapter 14, verse 12, the Israelites start saying stuff like, would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to keep still. Uh, so then chapter 14, verse 21, uh, turned the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and to their left. And then the end of chapter 14, verse 30 says, Thus the, laws, the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians, and Israel saw that the Egyptians, Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great work that the Lord did against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So they end up across the Red Sea. The Egyptians don't follow them the sea kind of crashes in after the Israelites. And so they end up the other side. Um, so unfortunately, I don't have a map to show you, but you basically have Egypt, the Red Sea, and they're aiming to get into what is now, it's Israel, but it's a land called Canaan, which is kind of over here. So they want to cross the Red Sea. Um, and so that's where they are now. They're the other side of the Red Sea, away from Egypt, heading towards Canaan. And so then... Chapter 15 is really beautiful. I actually really do recommend you maybe go read chapter 15 because it's called uh, kind of the Song of the Sea or something like that. It's kind of the first worship song we get in the Bible. Um, it's, you know, the Israelites are praising God for what he's done. You know, they've <laughs> forgotten that they were complaining kind of 10 minutes beforehand. And uh, so they're praising God again. They're like, yes, God's amazing. He's got us, got us through, um, but it's really beautiful. And then, then they start complaining again. <laughs> And uh, kind of chapter 16 to 20-ish, they're kind of wandering around in the wilderness. Again, you know, they've, they've crossed the water, but then they start to realize, like, oh, we've not got any, like, food or water or, like, a permanent place to live. And they start complaining again. So, like, God sends them manna from heaven, which is food that they can survive on. And Moses strikes a rock and water comes out. And uh, it's kind of God sustains them, but they do a pretty good job of complaining the whole time. And then chapter 19, they get to a place called the Sinai Peninsula. Um, which Mount Sinai is a big mountain in the name. And uh, so they kind of settle around there and God kind of prompts Moses to come up Mount Sinai to, to kind of to talk to God, to kind of meet with the presence of God um, who kind of talks to him in like thunder and pillars of smoke. And it's very dramatic. So um, Moses kind of goes up Mount Sinai we're in chapter 19 and God says, great, um, I want to make a covenant with you. Like me as your God, you as my people. I want to make this covenant. And Moses is like, yeah, okay, great. Uh, God has made covenants with them before. Um, there's a references to, in the book of Genesis, God makes a covenant with Abraham and promises that, you know, through his descendants, God's going to save the whole world. And this is kind of a continuation of that. It's a big, long story. But God says, I want to make a covenant with you, my people. I've brought you out of Egypt. Um, let's make this deal. And so a covenant, if you don't know, it's kind of like a, a vow or an agreement or you know, they, they kind of both promise things to each other. So God says, I'll, I'll promise you, I'll be your God. And you promise me that you can uh, kind of follow what I tell you. And he's like, I'm going to give you uh, my, my rules and my commandments. So then chapter 20. Let me flick forward. 
chapter 20, very famous chapter in Exodus. It's the Ten Commandments. Audience participation time. <laughs> Who's confident they can list Ten Commandments to me? Okay, we're going to do a countdown. We're going to go from 10 to 1. I know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> number 10. Anyone guess what number 10 is? No, we're going backwards. Number 10. Last one. Yes, you shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife, a male or a female slave, or ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Very good. Basically, it goes like, eyes in your own lane. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's number 10. Number nine. Any guesses? You should, no, you should not bear false witness against your neighbor. Number eight. Thank you. Number eight. You shall not steal. Number seven. Yeah. Come on. Any guesses? Yeah. Number seven. You shall not commit adultery. Very good, Abby. Memorize that one. <laughs> Number six. <laughs> yes. Number six. You should not commit murder. You, a lot of people think that's number one. It's number six. Number five. Yes. Number five is on your father and mother. <laughs> okay. So then number four. There's the kind of the big four at the top. Number four. Any guesses? No, not quite. One that we're all keeping this morning, I would say. Yes. Number four, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you should rest, basically, is what he's saying. So you work for six days and you rest on the seventh, uh, because God made the world in six days and he rested on the seventh. And, uh, so he says you have to rest every seven days. Uh, then number three, any guesses? Yes, very good. You shall not make wrongful, wrongful use of the name of the Lord, your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. So don't take the Lord's name in vain. Uh, number two, we're into the big hitters now. <laughs> no, number two, you're mixing up testaments. <laughs> good guess. Essentially, that's what they all say. But number two, you shall not make for yourself an idol, when the, whether in the form of anything else that, you know, no animals, no statues, no altars, no idols, basically is what I'm saying. Don't worship anything else. Um, because now it's quite common that when we say God, we talk about one God that we all worship. But uh, kind of 3,000 years ago in the ancient kind of Near East, they had loads of gods and, you know, different people worship different gods all the time. So God's like, don't worship any others, don't make any idols. And then number one, the big one, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house Brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. So he's like, I'm the only one you worship. And that's the first commandment. So he's like, that's the big one. Me and me only. Oh, my laptop's just gone off. That's fine. Uh, yeah, so number one is the big one. And so then the next following chapters are many more hundreds of rules. I won't go into them. Maybe go, if you want to go home and read them, that's fine. There's hundreds of them. And it's all things like, if you dig a pit and your neighbor's donkey falls in it, you have to pay your neighbor back for the cost of the donkey and all this stuff. Because uh, kind of like the kind of the final five, six commandments all about don't steal, don't murder, all of that. That's all to kind of help these guys, you know, for the first time, they're not under Egyptian rule and they have to figure out how to live by themselves as each other's neighbors and how to, you know, honor each other's property and all that kind of stuff so the next few chapters are lots of that it's lots of you know what kind of clothes you have to wear and all of that 
quite hard to read, if I'm honest. At this point, the films tend to finish when they cross the Red Sea. And I can see why, because the following chapter is about like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of rules. I'm like, that would take up a lot of film time, you know, probably wouldn't be very entertaining. <laughs> uh, and then kind of chapter 23, uh, so more of these stuff and then they you know a few weeks ago Ben talked about the tent of meeting if you were here you'll remember we all kind of uh, made up the tent of meeting in the courtyard and the tabernacle and all of that that's several more chapters of like how to build things and what it all has to look like and all of that stuff uh, they kind of they there's then all rules about priestly garments and what priests can wear and what they have to look like and what they have to do and what they have to say and they go on for that for like good quite a lot of chapters um Chapter 30, blah, blah, chapter 32. Uh, and then eventually they kind of, they seal this covenant. And they're like, yes, we'll do that. They kind of make sacrifices, make burnt offerings. They sprinkle some blood, covenant sealed, boom. They're like, yes, we will do this. We'll keep these commandments. We'll live like this. And God is like, great. And I'm going to be your God. So boom, we're done. And then uh, I think it's chapter 32. Moses is still up the mountain. He's still talking to God. The Israelites are all down at the bottom. They've made camp. Um, and they kind of start to get a bit restless. And they're like, we need to, you know, it's several days that he's up there. He's like, we need to do something. Uh, <clears throat> and then his brother Aaron is like, okay, great. Bring all your gold to me. Uh, we're going to make a golden calf, which is an idol. And, uh, you know, we're going to worship that. We're going to do some burnt offerings and all of this. And uh, so Moses is still up the mountain with God. And God kind of pauses his conversation with Moses. And he's like, hold on. <laughs> They've broken covenants number one and two already. <laughs> and he's like, go back down the mountain because I'm not happy with them. He's like, we've barely even got to the start of what we're doing. And they've already broken the biggest two that I told you. Um, and so the poor Israelites at the bottom are like, they've got a bit clueless. Um, as you can maybe tell, they've been kind of complaining the whole way through. Uh, it seems like quite a tricky job for poor Moses to try and get them on board because uh, Moses is trying to be this mouthpiece between God and the Israelites. And anyway, uh, so God is then a bit unhappy with the Israelites that they've, they've already made uh, an idol and started worshipping it. Um, and so then God and Moses have this discussion and God's like, fine, if you, if you want, just like, go away. Get, get to the promised land yourself, but I'm not going to come with you. I'm not going to be your God. Um, and then Moses says, no. Chapter 33, he's like, please, no, we don't want to go without your presence, um, essentially. And they work it out. And he, that's, this is where Kate is going to pick up uh, next week. Um, Moses and the Lord have some, a really, really wonderful exchange all about the character of God and, and who God is um, to kind of clarify it for these poor Israelites who clearly don't know what they're doing. So that was our whistle-stop tour through 34 chapters of Exodus. Um, there's a couple of things that I think it's worth kind of coming back to that I would encourage you to keep in mind over the next few weeks. Um, and so the first thing that to me that jumps out to me when I kind of read these chapters is the idea of, of holiness. And we see it kind of right from the start when Moses encounters this burning bush and he kind of encounters the presence of God. And God says, you know, take off your sandals, you're on holy ground. Uh, Moses, it says it, he hides his face. Um, he is kind of aware of like the weight of, God, of God's presence, how holy it is, what a big deal it is. Um, and then, you know, the reason there's chapters and chapters of the Ten Commandments and all the, all the other commandments and all the instructions about the tent of meeting, all the instructions about what a, what a priest does. That's not because I think the ancient world like loved lists. They weren't like, oh, this is crucial. Let's write all this stuff down like for the sake of it. Uh, they're trying to, to tell us something when they list for chapters and chapters about all these things they have to do. Uh, they're trying to convey something. 
Um, and it's clearly not that they love following rules because they don't, because they break them immediately. Uh, so I think what those, the commandments and everything, what it's all about is holiness. And it's basically, you know, God sets out these commandments to the Israelites because he's like, you are my people and my only people. Because um, again, now, like, you know, we talk about how we're all God's children and God loves the whole world. And that's what the Lord does through Jesus in the New Testament. But at this point, we're very, very early on in the story. And God is really only the God to the tribe of Israel, to these Israelites. Um, and, you know, different countries worship different gods. These guys worship this one. So God says, like, so everyone's going to know that. I'm going to make you, and the word holy means kind of set apart or made different. And he's like, I'm going to make you distinct. Um, and so that's why there's all these, these kind of things you have to follow and why I, I want to only make this covenant with you because I'm going to make you holy and set apart and given you these commandments so that you can follow them and so that you can uphold your side of the covenant that I've made with you. Because it's, uh, you know, not only he's not only asking Israelites to kind of commit to him, he's committing to them as well. And so holiness is is a huge deal. And again, I'm sure Kate's going to talk about that in the next kind of week or so when they talk about the character of God, that he's holy. Um, which is something that Israelite, the Israelites clearly have a bit of trouble with. It's something they, they're having to learn um, now that they've kind of been released from slavery in Egypt, how to be holy, how to be a distinct holy people. And then the second thing that I just probably like my favorite part of, of Exodus um, is the intimacy, which maybe sounds a bit strange. Uh, but what I'm talking about basically is um, when Moses kind of is, is talking to God in the burning bush and God says, go back to, to Aaron and to Miriam and to the Israelites and say that I am sent you. I really, I know when I read that, it sounded a bit strange because it, it doesn't make brilliant sense in English. Um, but basically it's God saying that his name is I am. I am who I am. I am sent you. Um, I won't go into the Hebrew of it. Basically like the, the Hebrew word that he says is kind of a pun and it's all about, you know, it's, a, it's a play on words of like, the verb to be so it's like literally his name is I am um, and often when you're you're reading the bible um, you'll maybe notice that when it says the lord or like the lord your god um, it'll it'll capitalize the l in lord even if it's the middle of a sentence or it might have it in a bit of a funny font or it might be in all capitals and basically what's happening there is that's us translating in english the name of god um, because it's, it's, it was basically, it was so holy, and we're back to holiness again, that, um, you know, thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, when the Bible was scrolls, um, they didn't read aloud the name of God. And, it's, you know, Jews still don't. They don't say aloud the name of God. Um, and actually, fun Hebrew fact for you, there are no vowels in the Hebrew alphabet. It's all consonants. Um, and so they would kind of write this name down, but they wouldn't say it out loud. And then kind of over hundreds of years, Hebrew died out as a first language. And, um, you know, Jews kind of developed, they would, their first languages would become like European languages or whatever, but they would still read Hebrew to like read out the scriptures. Um, but they'd kind of forget how to pronounce some words because it wasn't their first language anymore. So these people came along and they were like, okay, so we've got the consonants. We need to add some like vowel pointing. And if you ever see Hebrew, there's often like little dots and marks next to all the letters because that's uh, kind of, they meet their vowels. They kind of tell you how to pronounce things. But they have never ever put vowel markings on 
the name of God. Um, and so we kind of we translate it into English or maybe if you're around church enough, people talk about Yahweh or they talk about Jehovah. Uh, that's how we translate this word. That's kind of our best guess as to like what it probably sounds like, what those letters probably translate as into English. Um, but it's fascinating, really. It's this name that it's like, oh, the name of God is so holy that we can't say it. Like we can't even, you know, we can't even write it down. We can't even um, kind of pronounce it properly because it's like such a big deal. And um, it's kind of strange because we're like, oh, the name of God, but we're in the second book of the Bible. <laughs> um, and so kind of all throughout Genesis, they don't talk about the Lord your God. They just talk about, you know, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Um, and in the first few chapters, God says that a lot. He says to Moses, like, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of your fathers because that's kind of how he identifies himself. And then you'll notice that kind of from Exodus onwards, there starts to be a lot more of this, the Lord your God, because Lord is not just being like a type, it's not just trying to say like, oh, this important God, that's like his name. And so I was trying to figure out, I was like, hmm, do we have any equivalents to this? Like, how can I, you know, how does it, how can we understand what's really happening here? And, it, you know, it's obviously the Jubilee weekend. Um, and so I think, like, actually the Queen is quite a good example. Like, she's the Queen. And we all know who we're talking about when I say the Queen. Uh, and it's correct to call her the Queen. You know, that's true. That's not being vague or anything. We all know who we mean. And that kind of in the same way, you know, in Genesis and in the first bit of Exodus, they talk about God. But her name is Elizabeth, right? Um, uh, that's, like, her, her given name. That's her name. But, like, imagine how few people call her Elizabeth. You know, there's, I imagine very few call her that, uh, certainly to her face. <laughs> uh, you know, so again, uh, like we say, I say Elizabeth, we all know who I'm talking about, Queen Elizabeth. But, um, you know, that, that's like, there's an intimacy to that, that, you know, we would, her subjects, we'd never dare use that. We talk about the Queen. Uh, so in the same way, that's kind of what's happening here. It's like, it's unbelievably intimate what God is doing. And he's like, you don't have to call me anymore the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of your ancestors. You can call me by my name. The same way that he's like, I know your name, Moses. You know my name. It's I am. It's Yahweh. It's Jehovah. Or however you want to understand that, that's basically what's happening. And so again, you know, when uh, now when the queen kind of signs her name, I think she writes like Elizabeth R. Or you'll see like E-R on a lot of stuff, which is like, Elizabeth Regina, like Queen Elizabeth in Latin for some reason. Uh, but that's that's kind of, again, it's like her title. And so in the, in the Bible, when it says the Lord your God, you can kind of imagine that as like Elizabeth Regina, like Queen, it's like, you know, God, it's the title, it's who he is, but also his name. So when it says the Lord your God, when they start talking about him like that, it's because he's invited them into this, kind of greater intimacy with them he's like revealed more of himself to them um and he's like this you know i'm no no longer just the god of your ancestors and the god of your fathers i'm the lord your god that's my name um so anyway i think when you understand that sometimes going back and reading those passages and with the burning bush and stuff like it's i'm like no wonder moses hid his face you know no wonder he took his sandals off i was like oh my goodness uh you know god revealed himself to him in a way that he had never revealed himself to anyone before uh, and so that then kind of brings me on to like what kind of the crux of the book of Exodus. I think a lot of people say like, oh, Exodus is the story of Moses or it's the story of the Israelites. And um, I would actually say it's, it's the story of 
God and his covenant with the Israelites. Um, so, you know, Kate's going to pick this up in the next few weeks, but this covenant that he makes with them, he says, you know, let's make this deal. Here are the commandments. You keep them. I'll keep my end of the deal. I'll be your God. Um, and he, he says quite a lot. There's this kind of uh, formation that God says to, to Moses. He says, I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of the land of slavery and I'm bringing you to the promised land, to the land of Canaan, to the land I promised you. And he says, you know, I will be your God. You will be my people. And so again, when he's saying that, he says, I'm the Lord, your God. He like uses his name. He says, I'm the Lord, your God. And um, so to me, when I read that, it reminds me an awful lot of marriage rise. Um, and I, again, if you know me, like part of my research, what I study um, is marriage um, in the Old Testament and how it works in the Hebrew Bible. And um, actually, you know, when we think of marriage rise now, you maybe think of kind of the Church of England service where you... You promise, like, love, cherish. I, I can't even remember what's in them. But, you know, they're probably quite familiar to you, whatever. But, you know, marriage is a kind of covenant. Um, and sharing these vows, kind of saying, like, it's like, I, etc., blah, 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 take you, blah, 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 to be my lawful wedded wife, to be my lawful wedded husband. Um, that's basically a mirror of what's happening here. It's like, I, the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and I'm bringing you to the new land. I will be your God, and you will be my people. And they say, basically, they say this, they're like, yes, you are the God, the Lord our God, who brought us out of Egypt. We will be your people. We will keep these commandments. And so then, bearing all that in mind, immediately they go and break the commandments. So it's like, you know, it's as if they've gone on honeymoon, and immediately broken all of their vows. And you're like, huh, no wonder God is a bit frustrated with them. He's like, guys, I thought you knew what we were doing. Um, yeah, imagine. Imagine going on, you know, gosh, it'd be dramatic, wouldn't it? Going on a honeymoon, you're like, mm, eyes out the window. You kind of be like, did you know what you were signing up for when you got married? Like, did you know what you were doing? Uh, and again, you kind of read this and again, you're like, did they know what they were doing? Like when they... When they made this commandment, this covenant, sorry, where they're like, yes, we'll keep these, these commandments. You know, they seal it, they sprinkle some blood around, they sacrifice an animal, they do burnt offerings. And God's like, guys, you're like, imagine, like, you, I essentially just took you to be, to be mine. He's like, you, they're exclusive to him. In a, you know, a, through the Hebrew Bible, through the Old Testament, um, this kind of imagery of marriage is picked up a lot of God being like, you're my people, you're kind of the the people I'm wedded to. I've promised myself to be your God. I've promised, you know, I promised that I would lead you out of slavery in Egypt, and I did. I promised that I'll lead you into the into the promised land, and he does in the following books. He's like, I promised you all this. Um, and immediately <laughs> you for, you forgot your end of the deal. Um, and it would be nice if I could stand here and say, like, oh, this happens once in Exodus, and then they learn their lesson and they never do it again. Spoiler. That does not happen. <laughs> um, but this is kind of the first time that, you know, it goes wrong quite dramatically. Um, and God is like, okay, how, we need to do something about this, you know. And then he has this whole conversation with Moses that Kate's going to pick up in the next few weeks. But those are the things that kind of over the next week or so, I'd really encourage you to, to go back, maybe flick through Exodus, maybe just put the Prince of Egypt on or something like that. Um, but just bear those three things in mind, like holiness, 
um, and intimacy. And where they meet is kind of this place of covenant. Um, and because, you know, I'm not just telling you all of this and I'm not just standing up here this morning because I think Exodus is a really nice story. Um, I'm telling you firstly because I think it's true. Um, and I, you know, I believe it happened, but also that it's still true. Um, and, you know, Jesus does, he changes the game, um, uh, you know, and, and hundreds of years later, uh, he comes back and he um, he kind of means that this covenant that God had. Um, and so when I talk about this covenant and this idea that like God has pledged himself to us um, and wants to make us holy and share this intimacy with us, um, it's not just, oh, this is something that God did. 3,000 years ago to those people. Um, that's still true. The character of God doesn't change. The Lord is still inviting us to be holy people. Um, and he's inviting us into this intimacy. Um, and to, we maybe don't have covenants anymore. We're not going to burn sacrifices and, uh, you know, use incense or sprinkle blood or anything anywhere. Thank goodness. Um, but the the premise of the covenant still stands. Um yeah, and so, yeah, we're going to explore that in the next few weeks. But that's kind of what, I, if I could leave you with anything, <laughs> um, I don't care if you go away from here not remembering the Ten Commandments or not really remembering what the plagues were. Uh, but if I could leave you with anything, it's this, like, please remember the intimacy that God is inviting you into. Um, and he, he wants to tell you his name. He wants to make these commitments to you. Uh, and he wants you to do the same. So let's pray. You've been listening to the Edinburgh Vineyard Podcast. For details of our service times and small groups, please visit edinburghvineyard.org.